powered by the number one REMAX real estate company in the world, Gold Nation. The Juggernaut Podcast is dedicated to helping real estate professionals and beyond become an unstoppable force, a juggernaut. We believe when the real estate professional thrives, everybody wins. Release the third Wednesday of every month. Each episode will leave you inspired, energized, and ready to be unstoppable. Want to learn more about the Juggernaut Podcast? Go to www.juggernautpodcast.com. Here's your hosts, Stephanie Flood and Anthony James. Hello, Gold Nation. Welcome to another episode of the Juggernaut Podcast. My name is Stephanie Flood, our Vice President of Operations. I am here with my co-host, as always, Anthony James, our Vice President of Professional Development. Hello, Gold Nation. It is so good to be here. I love this time of the year, Stephanie. The fall is in the air and the holidays are right around the corner. Specifically, Thanksgiving is coming up. So it's probably time and appropriate that we give thanks today. That is perfect. This is the time of year where we reflect on our blessings and are grateful for that which we have and look around to see how we can help our fellow human being. So today, I want to introduce you to Angela Hassel, who is the Executive Director for Loaves and Fishes. Angela, do you want to say hello to Gold Nation? I'd love to. Hi, Gold Nation, and thanks for welcoming me here today. So we're going to talk to Angela about the organization for whom she works. That's Loaves and Fishes here in Sacramento. But I'm not going to tell you about their organization. We will get to hear it from her directly. But I want to tell you a little bit about Angela. So she started as a volunteer in 2003 with Loaves and Fishes, specifically at the Mustard Seed School, went on to get her master's in social work, and came full circle and is back now as the executive director of Loaves and Fishes. So, Angela, we're so excited to talk to you today to share this impact that Loaves and Fishes has made on the Sacramento community for all of these years but there are probably people in our audience that aren't super familiar with the organization. Can you give us a little bit of background on how it came to be? Absolutely. Yeah. So Sacramento Loaves and Fishes, we are a homeless survival services organi- nonprofit organization here in Sacramento. And um, our organization was started by Chris and Dan Delaney, who interestingly are a former priest and none. They they left those ministries when they met and, and decided to get married and have a family. But after after many years of that, they were really inspired by the Catholic Worker Movement, which is in line with the philosophies of Dorothy Day and the Catholic Worker Houses. And um, the philosophy behind those movements is very much in line with serving our fellow human beings and recognizing their dignity as human beings. So in 1983, they were living in downtown Sacramento and started just kind of noticing hungry people in downtown on the street and started serving sandwiches out of the trunk of their station wagon. Um, They had some friends in, in the church and faith community in Sacramento that saw what they were doing and wanted to help. And Loaves and Fishes was born from there, starting out very grassroots, very much person-to-person, connecting with folks who are living on the streets of Sacramento and giving them one thing that we we all as human beings need most to survive, which is food. So all of our other ministries, all of our other 16 programs grew out of that one, filling that one need for folks. 
Yeah, that's fantastic, Angela. Thank you for kind of sharing that. I I love the story, you know, that Chris and Dan, a former nun and a former priest, falling mm-hmm. in love, getting married, having a family, and just, you know, doing incredible work with this ministry, Loaves and Fishes. Um, I would love for you to kind of share how you got involved. How did you come to learn about Loaves and Fishes? And how did you originally get involved with the organization? Yeah, so I was originally a volunteer with the Jesuit Volunteer Corps, which is a one-year service program similar to AmeriCorps. Um, most folks who do it are straight out of a graduate, de- or I'm sorry, a bachelor's degree. Um, I actually came from the East Coast. I'm originally from the Boston area, and I had a couple of friends that were applying to this volunteer organization, and. I wasn't really sure exactly what I wanted to do after I finished college, so I uh, put in an application as well. And then through the process, I kind of um, was introduced to Loaves and Fishes because one of the placement opportunities was as a kindergarten and PE teacher at Mustard Seed School. And so that that was my first job here. I came fresh out of college, 21 years old bright-eyed, had no idea what I was stepping into when I set foot on our campus, Um, but pretty much immediately fell in love with the way the services are delivered to our guests. And it's it's very intentional that we call the folks that come to us for help, we call them guests. It's out of a sense of uh, hospitality and recognizing their dignity. And so, you know, I started out working working with the youngest of our guests, uh, the kids at the school and teaching CE, getting to kind of just let them relax and have fun and play games on the playground, get the wiggles out before they went back to class for another session of, of lessons. Um, and then I taught an afternoon session of kindergarten to the kindergarten age kids um, specifically. So it, I, I kind of just, I really fell in love with the interactions that I was able to have with people and with the folks that, that come here to Loaves and Fishes, and just with the spirit and the atmosphere of service that this organization has, and just recognizing folks as as individuals, but as a part of something greater than themselves, as we're all humans. Um, so, that, so that's been my journey. I started in that capacity, and um, when a full-time teaching position opened up after volunteering for some time, I... I took that full-time teaching position. So I taught kindergarten, first and second grade for about five years. Um, In that time, I I got my Montessori teaching certification. Several of our classrooms at Mustard Seed School use the Montessori philosophy to kind of meet each individual student where they are during the day. Um, And then in 2008, I became the program director of Mustard Seed School. And so I... I stayed in that role until 2015 when I went back to school at Sac State to get a master's in social work, and and now here I am. Here I am back in the big office, I guess. <laughs> I, I love that you kind of happened upon loaves and fishes, that it was this connection that clearly was meant to be coming all the way to Sacramento from Boston and coming to, you know, a smaller town, a smaller market, certainly, and and staying with it very clearly it affected you and i'm obviously we hear the professional ways that it has changed your life i'm curious how you personally being this you know fresh out of college student coming to sacramento to this organization to where you are now how has that type of work affected you personally and kind of your goals and outlook on life 
I think it's really shaped me significantly. I think had I not, I may have fallen into social work otherwise. It was something that I had looked into when I was trying to figure out what I wanted my undergrad degree to be in. And it was something that I considered, but then kind of put aside. Um, my undergrad degree was in English literature and women's studies. So not, you know, the women's studies portion did have some service and social work components. But, you know, I think, I think being here and kind of seeing this mission of welcoming folks in day after day, no matter, no matter who they are, no matter what their mood is, no matter, you know, kind of how they respond to different direction or interactions, um, being a place of welcome despite everything that the world throws at folks, no matter what, what walk of life we come from. I think that really had a really, I had a quite profound impact on me and just really resonated with me as a human being that, you know, there isn't as much that divides us as human beings, except for what we let get in the way sometimes. Um, and that was kind of one of the things that I, I remember sitting down with Chris Delaney and one of my assignments as, as a new staff person here was to interview her and then I interviewed another woman, Jerry Baskerville, who was a longtime um, staff person here and then and was on our board for a number of years and has since retired. Chris and Jerry have both since retired from kind of being involved full time. But I remember sitting down with them and just hearing things like them say things like that. Chris Delaney would talk about, you know, um, one of our, our quotes from her that I think about a lot and that a number of folks have referenced on in regards to lobes and fishes is, you know, people sometimes ask the question of why are these people homeless? Why aren't they able to get a job? Why aren't they able to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and work through, you know, I was able to, I was able to come from something not as much as what I have now. And, you know, Chris's response to that is to look people straight in the eye and very clearly say, well, aren't you lucky that you had bootstraps? Not everybody has bootstraps to pull up on. And the imagery of that and just kind of the heart, the impact of that has made a really big difference in my life in terms of my personal philosophy of service and kind of how I view the work that Lopes and Fishes does every day. And we, we often also use the term radical hospitality because hospitality is a radical act when you're talking about you know, folks that are, are coming from such deep trauma and such, so many other organizations and other structures in our society telling them no or they have to fit a certain model in order to take their next steps or things like that. In that type of a structure and in that type of a system, hospitality is a radical act. And just welcoming, you know, it sounds simple, welcoming folks in however they present themselves today, but it's it can be quite complicated and it, it can be pretty radical given kind of some of the other complications that arise in our daily lives. You know, Angela, I, uh, as I was reading on the website, I, that certainly caught my eye, right? The radical hospitality, the generosity and the love that the organization really embodies and the way that, you know, everyone inside of the organization, you know, loves the guests that come in. And you've mentioned all of these different programs that guests and people can, you know, take part in. 
Um, can you kind of just share with the audience what they all are? You mentioned the mustard seed school. Uh, obviously, there's the dining room. I've read about friendship park, and there's some other things uh, that the company and the or the organization does as well. So, can you kind of just kind of give an outline for our audience today of all of the different opportunities, programs, and ministries that are available through Loaves and Fishes? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, the dining room is what we consider our backbone of Loaves and Fishes. It's how we started. We started serving a healthy, nutritious, hot meal, and we serve 364 days out of the year. Interestingly enough, the one day that our dining room staff gets the day off is Thanksgiving Day. And the reason for that is that we serve our traditional Thanksgiving meal the Tuesday before, and there are lots of other organizations uh, located in our area of downtown Sacramento that serve Thanksgiving meals uh, on Thanksgiving Day and in the week preceding Thanksgiving. So that's, that's our opportunity to give, to thank our dining room staff for their service every single day of the year outside of Thanksgiving and to give our guests the opportunity to enjoy a Thanksgiving meal somewhere else. Um, but ours is early. We do have a big one that we do on the Tuesday before Thanksgiving every year. Um, so that our dining room serves a hot, nutritious meal 364 days of the year. You mentioned Friendship Park. Um, Friendship Park and Mary House are two programs that I consider companion programs, and they those are where the bulk of our adult services come in. Friendship Park is an outdoor park, an outdoor space with uh, gazebos, and there are a couple of offices, but then a lot of just benches and grassy areas and places for folks to sit and rest. And, you know, Friendship Park came to be because folks were coming to eat in the dining room and our staff were getting to know them and realizing that over time, you know, folks that are experiencing homelessness and living on the streets don't always have a safe place to rest during the day. So we opened our own park called Friendship Park where they, you know, folks, you'll see folks napping on benches. You'll see folks sitting at tables playing dominoes for hours with friends. You'll see folks coming in and sitting on the grass and sometimes, you know, just getting some respite. A lot of the folks that we serve have the experience that, you know, they may find a business doorway to shelter in and take a nap, but they often get moved along during the nighttime and or they're camping at the river and different things happen. So Friendship Park is, is a daytime hospitality respite place for folks. And then a lot of our other services come through there. Folks get their meal tickets for the dining room program out of our service center in Friendship Park. Men sign up for showers with our wash house, which is also under the Friendship Park umbrella. Um, within Friendship Park, we also have a reading room or a library where folks can come inside and sit and read a book or the newspaper. We have computers where folks can access the internet or their email and sign up for, for a time slot to utilize the computers, much like any other library through the city or public library that you come across. It's, a, it's typically a quiet place of respite for folks to sit and enjoy, enjoy being in the company of books. Um, and then the other side of that is Mary House, which is intentionally a space protected space for women and children. And we do serve the occasional single father through Mary House, but it's, it's mostly kind of a respite place for women experiencing homelessness because we recognize that sometimes the trauma that women experience on the streets is a little bit different than uh, what men or other folks experience. And so our 
our women's showers are through Mary House. Um, both Friendship Park and Mary House have a mail service. Many folks that are homeless don't have a street address that they can use, so we let them use our address, and so that way they get various correspondence through the mail here. They can come check it, pick it up every day if they like. Um, and then Mary House has a number of intake specialists that will sit with a woman or a family and work with them one-on-one and help them make a plan and connect to other resources for whatever their needs may be. Um, we have a number of other programs. Oh, also under the Friendship Park umbrella is our kennel, our pet kennel called Annika's Haven. And it's named after this woman, Annika, who started it as a volunteer. And then it was dedicated, the new building that was built was dedicated to her um, after she passed away a number of years ago. But it, our kennel is, is a place where our guests that have pets can board their animals, mostly dogs and cats, although uh, over the years we have had the occasional horse, which is quite interesting, um, which uh, that was that was a fun day. The kids got to go visit the horse. That's the kids from Mustard Seed School got to go visit the horse, and a number of staff were really excited that when the horse would come through. Haven't seen the horse in a while, though. But... Um, you know, we don't allow the pets inside any of our other programs, but we also understand that a lot of the folks that we serve have animals for companionship, for protection, for emotional support, for any number of reasons, and we don't want anything to happen to those animals. So we are happy to board them during the day while folks utilize our other services. And the agreement is that they, if they're going to be there for an extended period of time, that they come back and give the animal a walk every two hours or so. But we will feed them. We will make sure the animal has water and, you know, a safe, cozy bed to rest in. In there. Um, and we've talked a little bit about Mustard Seed School, but Mustard Seed School is our free private school for children who are experiencing homelessness. And we work really closely with a number of different school districts, um, and we're kind of a little bit of a catch-all for children experiencing homelessness that have a difficult time maintaining in their school of origin within the school districts. Um, so it's the goal is not to enroll a student at the beginning of the school year and have them finish out third grade or something like that at our school. We do serve students preschool through eighth grade, but as an emergency school, we work with each family individually. And then when, when the family has a little bit more housing stability or moves into something permanent, we work with the parents to help the kids re-enroll and transition back to public school. Because ultimately, that's kind of the best resource for them long-term. So we try to fill as many of those educational gaps as we can with the routine of coming to school and, and all of that. There's a, the school has a socio-emotional curriculum that they work through with, with the children um, to kind of help give them some more independent skills and support in addition to the academics. Um, Genesis is our, our mental health clinic, and it is, you know, we don't require any insurance or any type of verification of benefits or anything like that. Folks are able to access our therapists with our Genesis mental health program pretty much on a daily, weekday basis, Monday through Friday. Um, and some folks have regular appointments where they come in once a week, and some folks just kind of come in and it's more of a triage type appointment, but um, we do have folks available for an intake pretty much at any time. So it's, it's a drop-in, but also the opportunity to schedule appointments. And um, 
from what I've gathered from the staff over there, there's not a huge wait time. So if somebody came in and wanted to speak with somebody today, they might have to wait 30, 40 minutes, but there would be somebody available for them to speak with within the day. They don't have to get sent away and come back to receive that support. Um, the only shelter that we have on site is called Sister Nora's Place, and it is specifically for women who've experienced chronic homelessness. So over years and years of time, they've, they've experienced homelessness. And many of them also struggle with various mental health diagnoses. And so it's a, it's a long-term shelter. We have capacity for uh, 12 residents right now due to COVID and some space restrictions. We have nine women in there right now, and we're, we're hopeful that um, at some point we'll be able to utilize more of those beds when some of those restrictions lift in terms of the space guidelines. Um, but it's the thing I love about this program is that we don't have a term limit on how long these ladies can stay. So they work with our staff on a one-on-one -on -one basis, and then they get to drive the boat on when they're ready, when they're ready to move on, and when they're ready to uh, move into a different type of housing situation. It's their it's their choice, and and the one-on-one -on -one support we find really successful. And you know, if you think about somebody who's lived outdoors for five, ten, fifteen, twenty years, sometimes it takes more than ninety days to work through some of that trauma and some of those hesitancies to living indoors again and adjust. And so that's, that's kind of the philosophy behind that shelter program that we have is that we don't, we as the staff of that program don't get to determine what each lady's journey looks like. It's, it's up to them to work with us to kind of make those decisions as a team and, and definitely with their input every step of the way. Um, Another of our major programs, um, and this will kind of be the last one that I give a longer description of, is our, our jail visitation and our legal clinic. Um, and right now, those have, have been functioning a little bit to a lesser degree because of various court closures and limits on visiting in the jail and such. But our, we have a staff and a healthy volunteer team that work with our guests and so for jail visitation, it is just that. It's a visitation program for folks who end up in the Sacramento County main jail and don't have anybody to visit them while they're inside. And so our volunteers will go and just sit and talk with folks. You know, it's not, there's no judgment involved. It's not punitive. We don't even really care why they're there. We just want them to know that they're not forgotten because they're separate from the rest of society for a little while. And so our volunteers and our staff will go and just visit with them. They, um, when we have the funds available, they'll be able to put five or $10 on somebody's book so they can go get a cup of coffee or a pair of socks or you know, whatever they need from the commissary inside on a, on a regular basis. Um, and then our legal clinic is a collaborative with uh, Northern California Legal Services. And we have some volunteer attorneys that are here four days a week and help folks once they're released or if they have other legal issues that they need advice with. Uh, and we don't, we don't provide representation in court. We refer those things to legal services of Northern California, but we provide legal advice. And, you know, our team has helped with anything from helping folks understand and negotiate child support, divorce, to other criminal matters, and just kind of giving some support and advice along the way in terms of 
what the next steps might be or what they can expect at the next court date or, you know, bringing in the legal documents and translating it from the, uh, you know, arguably dense legalese into language that folks can understand so that they know what's happening in their legal cases and things like that. So I'll, uh, I'll kind of leave it there. We do have some, some other affiliate programs, but um, those are, those are the big ones. Yeah. I just, it feels odd to say anything after that sharing of all of the things that, that you all provide there. I'm just, I'm really in awe. And, and before I ask you another question, I, I personally, I just want to say thank you for providing that and for being there for people when they need it, because that's just so powerful to put others out of yourself. So thank you for, for what you provide to people. All yeah, right. We don't, we don't do it alone. We have an amazing team here and everybody does their part. So thank you. Well, we, we appreciate you and what your team is doing. You, you mentioned it a little bit in some of the programs mm-hmm. that you were talking about how COVID and the pandemic has affected your ability to serve in some ways and how those programs might have changed a little bit. I'm curious. I'm, I'm always interested in different industries and different walks of life, how COVID has affected people and what they normally do. So I'm curious how COVID changed the way that you're able to serve and how radical hospitality looks at loaves and fishes over the course of the last 18 months. Yeah, that's a, it's been a journey, that's for sure. Um, you know, and our dining room was able to pivot immediately when we had that first stay-at-home shutdown order. We were not allowed to serve folks meals indoors and allow them to come in and sit in our dining room and eat anymore. Um, but our dining room team didn't, they did not miss one day of serving a hot, nutritious meal to folks. We just immediately went out and got, you know, what we could for to-go containers. And we were able to uh, redesign the flow of folks moving through our campus with distancing and safety protocols in place almost overnight. It was, it was truly remarkable the way folks pulled together to make that happen um, 18 months ago or so. And since then, we've been able to kind of modify things, but a lot of our other programs had to start doing things outdoors instead of, you know, Mary House instead of being able to welcome women inside. They were able to kind of creatively um, open their front door as a half door and have some of the plexiglass set up so that we could still greet each woman and address whatever the needs were that she had. And we had a lot of staff that just kind of ended up roaming our campus and and meeting and talking with people outdoors and wearing masks and staying distant as much as we could. But then, you know, there were just a lot of things that started happening outdoors. And I think one of the things that we have realized and that we have really been able to put into practice a little bit more is a better utilization of those outdoor spaces. We didn't typically allow folks to come and eat outside anywhere outside of the dining room, but now we utilize Sunset Park as an outdoor dining space for folks. And we're seeing a lot of a lot of folks really grateful for that opportunity to eat outdoors instead of indoors. We have a lot of guests that aren't ready to come back and eat inside our dining room yet. And so we have the opportunity for them to eat outdoors in Friendship Park. And we'll be having our big traditional Thanksgiving celebration outdoors in Friendship Park, utilizing that space a little bit differently. Um, Mustard Seed School, initially schools had to shut down and 
they went into distance learning mode, which, as you can imagine, for children experiencing homelessness who are camping, living in cars, living in motels, the internet access was a big barrier for them. And um, a lot of our staff really did a good job of wrangling donations and putting together at-home school kits for individual kids. And then we took our school vans and we delivered that plus meals to families sheltering in place in various places. So we went out to them rather than having vulnerable families coming to our campus every day. Um, and so our, our entire staff of teachers kind of became a mobile outreach team where they had different drop-offs that they would schedule every week with different families and encourage families to call in and get on the schedule for meals, for educational support. Um, and when schools went back in person, we were able to fully reopen our school program. We did kind of have a couple of steps in between where we utilized family cohort models and were allowed to welcome children experiencing homelessness back onto our campus. That was kind of one of the protected classes that the state identified could come back to school campuses uh, initially before the bulk of, of the students went back this past fall. Um, so we were able to reopen Mustard Seed School a little bit sooner than some of our other programs. But it's been, you know, the shutdown happened really dramatically, really fast, and the reopening is happening one step at a time as we kind of adjust to the always changing protocols, the always changing um, guidelines on kind of what's appropriate and what's not in, in the spaces that we have here. So it's, it's been, I said it at the beginning, it's been quite a journey. It's been a lot of activating our creativity and trying to say, okay, this is how we're used to doing it. What are the resources that we have and how can we still do our best to provide these things for our guests, but in a slightly different way? And there have been a lot of successes and there have been some things that maybe didn't work so well and we've had to go back to the drawing board and try again. Um, but we've been, we've been really fortunate to be able to, you know, keep, keep our staff, keep our doors open as much as, as possible and um, keep taking steps towards bringing our services back, bringing our volunteers back to campus and um, allowing our guests that rest space of respite and, and hope that they're used to seeing here. Mm -hmm. Angela, you, uh, you mentioned a word a moment ago, resources. And as I listen mm -hmm. to you talk about all of the programs and the things that Loaves and Fishes does for the community, I think about the immense resources that are probably needed, right, to, to keep things moving and progressing and serving the community at large. So I would love for you to kind of share with the audience uh, around the dynamic of there, there is, it's my understanding there's no government money that loaves and fishes receives. It's all 100% funded by individual donors and community foundations. Is that correct? That is correct. Yep. And that is something that our founders and our board put in place from the very beginning since 1983, when we first opened, officially opened the dining room, we have never accepted any government funding whatsoever. Um, and that, that's something that we've been able to maintain. So we are entirely funded through private donations, through volunteer hours, um, in addition to our staff. And it's, so far, through the grace of God, we've been able to maintain um, every year around the holidays. It gets, it gets a, little, a little tricky because it's, you know, we're 
we're not like not unlike other nonprofits where sometimes the holidays and the donations that we bring in during the holidays help sustain us during some of the leaner months of the year. So it's always a question mark is um, what will this year bring and what will what will this phase of the pandemic bring is another question right. alongside what will this year bring that we we ask ourselves and, and what can we do to you know kind of inspire our community. But yeah, we, we have never accepted any government funding whatsoever. So can you kind of talk a little bit about the volunteer needs specifically? You know, when we talk about the needs uh, of loaves and fishes mm-hmm. to, again, serve the guests and the people that are coming through on a daily basis, can you start with some stats? You mentioned 364 days a year. How many meals are being served every single day? Is it one time a day? Is it multiple times a day? And how many volunteers do you need on any given day to serve that many meals? Yeah, we are averaging. Um, so it's it's an average that fluctuates because it's interesting that there's kind of a cycle, a monthly cycle that we see in terms of the number of meals that we serve. At the beginning of the month, um, if you think about it, that's when folks you know might get their financial assistance. They may have a check come in the mail if they're on uh, GA or any SSI or any of the public assistance programs they get that money at the beginning of the month. So we see our numbers kind of drop off at the beginning of the month when folks have other resources and then build towards the end of the month. Um, the pandemic has kind of shifted that. Before the pandemic, we were seeing maybe uh, two to 300 folks at the beginning of the month and anywhere between six or 800 at the end of the month. Um, and so we have, we're starting to see that cycle reappear instead of kind of like it be a constant push through the month, we're starting to see two to three hundred folks at the beginning of the month, five, six, seven, eight hundred folks towards the end of the month sometimes. So for our Thanksgiving meal being a Thanksgiving at the end of the month, we're anticipating six to eight hundred people on campus coming to eat for that meal. But in terms of your other question and volunteers, we do have dining room staff that do some of the work, but a lot of the work happens with volunteer hours. And um, I believe our dining room alone uses anywhere from 20 to 30 volunteers a day in different shifts. We've had to kind of decrease that a little bit with some of the space restrictions for for the pandemic. And some of those volunteers, um, since we're not welcoming folks in and, and we don't have the traditional serving line where somebody's serving one dish and the next person is serving another dish, we, we haven't been able to utilize as many people for that. But we are seeing, we have seen through the pandemic a drop off in our volunteer base. And we've had to try to supplement that with, with giving staff extra duties and extra hours and things like that, because it's, um, it's something that, you know, the, the dining room is, like I said before, the backbone of our organization. That's one thing that we will never, we'll never give up. We'll always be here to serve food. Um, and volunteers are a big way that we do that. So anywhere from 20 to 30 volunteers a day just for the dining room. But many of our other programs utilize volunteers as well. Um, Friendship Park has volunteers who who come in and um, will work on different programs with the, kids, with the guests over there. We've had volunteer artists come in and do an art project with folks um, in terms of just kind of healing arts and things of that nature. We do have volunteers that we utilize in Mustard Seed School in the program, in the classrooms of the program, 
to provide more one-on-one tailored support to the kids and and the classroom environments. Um, Mary House utilizes volunteers. Our warehouse utilizes volunteers. Some of it is in sorting donations and trying to figure out where we need to put what. And some of it is, you know, literally chopping vegetables and serving meals or working one-on-one with students and other guests on our campus. So there's, there's often a big need if folks have time and are willing to, to do that, um, come in and, and give us a day or something like that. We're always grateful. So as we look forward to Thanksgiving, of course, and you mentioned being grateful, what might mm-hmm. members of our audience be able to do to get more involved? How would they join as a volunteer? Or if they don't have the time perhaps to make a donation, what's the best way to get involved with Loaves and Fishes here in Sacramento? Absolutely. Um, if folks would like to volunteer time, they we have a, a sign-up that we our volunteer coordinator maintains for the holiday meal and for other meals. So if it's just Thanksgiving or other times that you're interested, and um, the phone number for that is 916-637-2444. It's on our website as well under volunteer opportunities. The phone number is listed there if if folks want to look at it from the website. Um, So that's the way to kind of volunteer hours and, and see what, what shifts we need for the Thanksgiving meal. We start cooking and prepping several days ahead of time. So by the end of this week, by Friday of this week, we will be starting. And over the weekend, we will be cooking and starting to get everything ready for the meal on Tuesday. Um, And then, you know, just in terms of if, if volunteer hours are not something that you can give, we are always accepting monetary donations. There's an opportunity to, donate through our website. Um, if you go all the way, the donate now button is in blue at the top. And then if you go all the way down to the bottom, our address is listed. Our mailing address is 1351 North C Street in Sacramento. And that's, that's our physical address. We do also have a PO box that we pick up mail from every day. Um, so either of those are ways to mail in donations. And um, also on our website, we update and maintain various needs lists for in-kind items. So if you wanted to contribute food for the Thanksgiving meal, the Thanksgiving meal needs list is on our website. Anything from turkeys to dinner rolls to plastic utensils, napkins, pies, things like that are things that we need need for the Thanksgiving meal. Um, And then a lot of our just kind of general items that we need on an ongoing basis. One of the biggest needs over the wintertime are things to help protect people from the rain and from the cold weather. So reindeer, ponchos, jackets, things like sleeping bags, tents, tarps. Um, It's amazing sometimes how innovative folks can be with some of those blue plastic tarps that they can use to protect their tent from the wind and storms as they come. Um, But things of that nature are, are all listed on the needless portion of our website and so folks can access those things there if, if the volunteer hours or the monetary donations aren't your thing. And those donations can be dropped off directly to our warehouse at 1351 North C Street or if you'd like you can have them shipped to that address as well. We, we um, have a good relationship with Amazon and, and their delivery drivers that folks have utilized in the past just to send stuff if, if that's the way that, that is best for you to contribute. 
That's awesome, Angela. There's so many different ways is what I just heard for our audience to get connected, to help and to get involved, uh, to help support the folks that are coming into loaves and fishes on a daily basis and utilizing a number of different programs, not just serving hot meals uh, with at the dining hall, but also in other areas as well. So very cool. I have a question. Uh, this is more of a personal question. Can little kids sure. also come volunteer? I've got, you know, I've got some little ones. I'd, l- I'd love to get them involved if that's possible. Um, we typically, our dining room typically doesn't have volunteers that are under 14 without a parent present. Um, so we do allow teenagers to volunteer with, with parent supervision, of course, but younger than that, it's, uh, we typically can't utilize volunteers younger than that, unfortunately. Okay. All right. Not a problem. Well, thank you for all of the information. And uh, I think you may have already mentioned this, but just to reiterate for our audience, you can go to sackloaves.org for additional information. Uh, All of the resources there, the different ways to donate and give all listed on the website. Also the volunteer information. Did I miss anything, Angela? I think you got it. Thank you. Well, we appreciate your time today, and not just today, but all of the time that we know that you and your organization are putting into the people in the community of Sacramento. We we all appreciate the things that you are doing, even if we don't get to see them all the time. And it's it's times like this that I think it's important for us to stop and reflect and think about others that are less fortunate than we are, just like your your founder's quote about being lucky that we have bootstraps and that has really stuck with me. This has been a really powerful episode and just getting the time to talk to you. Is there, are there any last thoughts that you want to leave with our audience today? You know, I think um, one of the things that is most powerful for me about Lives and Fishes is just recognizing that we're all human beings and we're all navigating our way through life as best we can. And I think that as a society that the most, the more that we can put that in the forefront of our minds as we kind of look around and um, see the different things that we all see every day, then, then the better. And so I would just kind of encourage people to to do their best to, you know, consider that and, and embrace some aspect of that, that you, you know, we're all on these individual journeys and you know, we all end up where we end up. But I think that that's kind of one of the most powerful things for me about this work is just recognizing that and and that's kind of where I will leave it for you. Awesome. Thank you, Angela. Well said. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Stephanie, thank you. And uh, to all of our listeners at Gold Nation, thank you guys for tuning in. This is the Juggernaut Podcast and we'll see you guys next month. Take care. Thank you for joining us and listening to the Juggernaut Podcast. Our vision is truly to inspire our listeners to become an unstoppable force, not only in business, but also in life. To develop that juggernaut mindset that will embrace conflict, overcome adversity, and influence positive impact in the communities we live, work, and serve, it is time to awaken the juggernaut in us all. We look forward to bringing you another inspiring episode next month on the third Wednesday right here on the Juggernaut Podcast. Until then, take care and continue to be unstoppable.